And we announced it last night, too, when Vito was here. Today is Mary Pat Fisella's birthday. Happy birthday, Mary Pat. Oh, oh happy yes. Happy birthday, Mary Pat. Great wife. Uh, never forget that moment that I sat with Peter King, his wife, Vito Fisella, his wife, high-end Italian restaurant. They were doing some kind of uh, uh, signature petition they wanted me to promote on the old WABC. And across with Stefan Marbury, the former New York Nick. And we were, like, ready to get into a fight, John. And Peter King kicks me. says, our wives are here, Curtis. <laughs> Vito is looking at me. Oh, my God. Curtis is going to start a fight in his high-class Italian restaurant with Stefan Marbury. Stat- it was Staten Island? No. In, right here in the Upper East Side. They were putting together some kind of petition. They were both in the House of Representatives at that time. And uh, I was going to assist them. It never got to that point because we were too busy... Uh, uh, eye-daggering one another, me and Stefan Marbury. <laughs> what was the uh, potential, what were the eye-daggers about? Uh, was it about his uh, I never association? Liked, I never the... liked him, he never liked me, and so we were like ready to get <laughs> it no off. No reason at all. But just... let me give you a, an idea, because uh, uh, we have a crime blotter here in New York City of unsolved cases, very serious cases, two home invasions in Staten Island mm-hmm. where Vito Fisella is borough, borough president, one where they came in and pistol-whipped a five-year-old girl and uh, her mother, still unsolved. That was near Mariner's Harbor. Another one in Stapleton. Five o'clock in the afternoon, they break into a house, pistol-whip this guy. And then uh, probably the worst of the cases was in Richmond Hill uh, over the last 24 hours, uh, right at Liberty Avenue. Uh, three gunmen approach a car. There's the male driver and there's a female next to him. Shoots him six times. They covered every angle. He wasn't going to get away. Mm. The front, the rear, the back shot him six times. Shot the gal in her head. She died. He survived and still no arrests. So people were using guns uh, because there are less cops out there. They know they can get away with this. This is This is the problem. Every time you call a level three when any of these Hamas demonstrations take place, yeah, you have that pulls ten cops out of every precinct. Mm-hmm. Ten, they have to run down there, right? Because it's a level three, and the Hamas demonstrators know that, so yeah. they act up. That means less cops in the precinct, more opportunities for the criminals locally to commit these kinds of crimes and get away with Curtis, it. Curtis, that's a great point in terms of the distraction that it causes for the department and what that actually leaves the city more vulnerable to. Absolutely. And you can see it right there in Staten Island. It's a great example. When you have a level three, that means all cops, all hands on deck. So if we're going to continue to let these Hamas demonstrators attack the cops, uh, just go roam the streets without any stopping. And then we have to call a level three, which means other cops from other precincts have to run in. That leaves the local communities even more vulnerable yeah. to these kinds of crimes. Yeah. It's like, let's get control of these Hamas demonstrations. Uh, your your father's going to be joining us. He can tell us exactly how to do it because Eric Adams doesn't know how to do it. 
I was listening to Anthony Weiner the other day. He didn't have a problem with them taking over the city. But there are rules and regulations to demonstrations, parades, what you can do and what you can't do, and they have to be enforced. Absolutely. And, and look, there's there's been this feeling, I think, amongst these protesters that they can go anywhere they want, do anywhere they want. And this isn't just for this specific protest, the pro-Hamas stuff. I mean, this goes back to, back to Black Lives Matter. This goes back before the George Floyd death, when you saw this during de Blasio, even into de Blasio's first term. I mean, go back to the Eric Garner stuff. So this has been happening for 10 years, and you could see these protests have been building up, building up, building up. They're going to start becoming riots, I think, soon, more and more often, instead of what should be peaceful demonstrations, right? You want to peacefully demonstrate? Take the sidewalk, make your point. That's your First Amendment right. But don't don't actually have the NYPD, don't put the NYPD and citizens in that much more vulnerable of a position by having to have a level three where you have to call in the NYPD, it seems like, every other day well, at this the point. The famous meeting that your father had with Bill Bratton, his first police commissioner. Mm-hmm. Bill Bratton comes over to City Hall from one police pod. He says, Mr. Mayor, I'd like to have a meeting with Al Sharpton. There's a situation involving a mosque. There's a shooting in a mosque. And your father looked at Bill Bratton and said, crazy. you can have that meeting and I'll have your gun and badge and I'll have a new police commissioner by this evening. Yeah. And Bill Bratton knew that Rudy was serious. Absolutely. No meetings with Sharpton, no shakedowns, no extortion. Sharpton had a demonstration de jour against Rudy. Rudy said, you're entitled to demonstrate, but here are the rules and regulations. And if you enforce the rules and regulations then everybody knows what you can do and you can't do. It doesn't vary from one group to another demonstration to another demonstration. Yeah, and you'll have to ask my father about this, but if I'm not mistaken, my father never uttered the name Al Sharpton while he was mayor for the eight years, and he got questions about him. He would completely ignore him to try to just completely deflate the uh, oxygen around Sharpton right there. So the fact that uh, Bratton wanted to give him... Uh, a seat at the table, which ultimately happened under de Blasio. Remember, that was yep. one of the things that happened that first year in de Blasio. De Blasio sits down with uh, Bratton and Sharpton sitting all together right there, and we've seen just how and, much and the city is President devolved. Obama. What's that? Right? Yes, exactly. How do you owe the federal government and the IRS $4 million, $5 million, $6 million, and have a pastor walking in out of the White House? Yeah. By the some, way. Some like 80 times or something like John, that. Or Obama, too. It, he was a frequent guest. It wasn't just personal taxes. It was payroll taxes, which, as you know. Personal. It's personal. You are taking the money of your employees. Yeah. Payroll tax. Mm-hmm. And he took it. And he was exonerated. The yeah. Eastern uh, District Attorney at that time uh, basically said, we're not going to charge Al Sharpton because he had an easy pass into the White House then. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, it was. I mean, that is. Yeah. Where, where's law and order? I mean, how do you set examples for our kids growing up? It's, it's a great point, John. It's something my wife and I talk about all the time. Where are the morals? Where are the ethics? Where are the role models? I mean, when I was growing up in the fifties, and I mean, uh, the public schools—they—they they, they were very good. They—they they taught. Uh, you know who went up the uh, Hudson River? Henry Hudson. Yep. <laughs> in, the, in the half, what was it? The half moon. The half moon. That's the half right. Moon. Yeah. Henry Hudson. And not only that, you learned about your first business deal was how the Canarsie Indians sold the island of Manhattan to the Dutch for twenty-four dollars in trinkets. 
That was John's first, first business understanding right of yes. how business is transacted, how you have a winner and you have a loser. <laughs> I, think, I think we know who won that one there. <laughs> Pretty amazing. And then, John, you had an opportunity to go to West Point, and you forsake. Uh, forsake. 1966, William, Congressman William Fitz Ryan gave me the nomination. So really? what happened? How come you decided not to go to West Point at that point? My mother cried. My father yelled because I was an only child. Mm-hmm. You know, when you're an only child, it's a little bit different. Yeah. And um, I didn't want to leave them, leave them alone. So at the end of the day, that was the big decision, leaving my parents alone or, or not. And, and I stayed home. Yeah. And you were living in Harlem at the time. 135th Street uh, between Broadway and Amsterdam mm-hmm. Avenue. Uh, City College with Lewiston Stadium was up the block. And um, I was going to Brooklyn Tech. It took me an hour a day uh, to go to uh, on the uh, IRT from 137th Street Station. Really? All the way down to Brooklyn. And, and we. Hey, by the way, I was 14 years old. Nobody, the subways were 100% yep. safe. Yeah. And one, one of the things that I love about your book, How Far Do You Want to Go, is when you talk about really your first summer. I think it was going from Brooklyn Tech into college and how you were looking forward to relaxing with your friends. And your mother instilled in you the fact threw that, me hey, off the couch. hard work, get off the couch. She and threw go me work. off the couch and went and got me a job. And and when you talk about role models and ethics and having that work ethic there, which, look, you still have to this day. You're here on Christmas week in working your tush off. Um, that's exactly what we what, need to what instill the to the next generation. What you, uh, Andrew, is there's so many... Uh, what, what do you call it? forks in the road in life, and 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 you got to make the right decision in some of those forks. Yeah, I don't think people realize, uh, but you went to Brooklyn Tech. A lot of people went to Brooklyn Tech. Old boys at that time. Now they have women and men, but uh, six thousand. It's the largest high school in America. Is it really to the this largest day. high school in America? Brooklyn Tech. You go into their auditorium. It's like uh, you're going into a theater. Yeah. The old theaters that they used to have, the Lyceum on 42nd. It's packed. Yeah, it's bigger than the university. Duke is about 6,000, 6,500 people. The largest size. high school now, in you, America. Uh, Mr. Pabst, who's the original uh, principal there, uh, on your on opening day uh, ceremony, uh, we were in the auditorium, and I, uh, you remember the words. Listen to these words. Look to your left. Look to your right. One of you is not going to graduate. Really? Yes. Wow. So they wanted to make so, sure you knew it was rigorous and that you were going to be challenged. Cold, a cold uh, uh, <laughs> came over, your, comes over your face and you say, oh, crap. You yeah. know? <laughs> now, now, but, uh, look at that. Wow. The, the, all the eclectic uh, people that went there. And by the way, it was an integrated school. Mm-hmm. I always got mistaken for going to Brooklyn Tech. I went to Brooklyn Prep, so people would say Brooklyn Tech. There were blacks, there were whites, there were Hispanics, there were Asians. We had everything. It was an integrated. Imagine 6,000 young men later to be joined by young women. Anthony Weiner went there. Jumani Williams went there. I can go just person after person after person. And, of course, Bill de Blasio's son, without which... He would never have become mayor, Dante. Yeah. 
Went to Brooklyn Tech. You see, your parents could have sent you to Brooklyn Tech instead of that school in nowhere, New Jersey, in New Jersey that I can't even find in a map. It was a great school. It was a great school. I got a great education. Uh, we learned to work with our minds. We learned to work with our hands. You know, we had foundry shop. We had architecture uh, shop. We, uh, You know, we had everything. And let me tell you, Andrew. They were the only school allowed to carry weapons legally. T-bars and compass, you know, the compass yeah. with the uh, uh, the what looked like a little knife at the end. They could carry that around to defend themselves when guys were trying to rip them off as they'd run to the train station to <laughs> Fort Greene Park. I, I'll tell you, we had our own police force. It was called the SOS. There was about 400, 500 members of 6,000. Really? Uh, and uh, we ran the school. And uh, I remember uh, in six-period lunch, I was in charge of the whole building for six-period. Really? And uh, I was in charge of the lunchroom. I was in charge of the whole building. Teachers would take assignments for me. Wow. So you, you <laughs> learn leadership abilities at that age. Yeah. Uh, learning leadership at the age of 17, 18, yeah. it comes a long way. See, don't you feel you missed out going to some nowhere high school in New Jersey? Oh, I learned a lot out. of leadership from there. But I got to tell you, this sounds like the kind of ideals that you want to instill as a father of a little daughter who was in here yesterday. This is the kind of leadership you want to instill upon her. 6,000 young men yeah. in one high school. Yeah. It ain't That's easy amazing. to deal with 600 That's, young men in that, a high school. 6,000. 6,000. Thousand and it's still to this day. And you couldn't go, you know, uh, our police force, the SOS, is, uh, uh, you had to go up the right stairs ways or down the right stairways. You can't, and you could not smoke within a block of the school. Right. Uh, you could not wear jeans uh, within uh, to school. And we, 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 See, you missed that. We could use some of those ideals. No, we could use some of those ideals. You need some discipline. Absolutely. Now we just can't even get the phones out of kids' hands when they're in school. It's yeah. a disaster. Up next, he didn't go to Brooklyn Tech. He didn't go to Brooklyn Prep. He didn't go to the high school. Bishop I can't Laughlin. Find. I yes, Bishop, Bishop Laughlin. Laughlin. Who also Tish James went to. Oh, yes. They get along very well. Bishop Laughlin produced Rudy Giuliani. His friend is eternal friend for life, Peter Powers. And yes, it Peter also, Powers was a great man. Right? Well, he absolutely was. But it also produced the Attorney General of the State of New York, Tish James. Up next, Rudy Giuliani here on your place to be, WABC. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. Real New York. 77 WABC. Entertaining and informative. This is Sit in Friends in the Morning. 77 WABC. Hate this song. 
horrible intro to Rudy Giuliani, greatest mayor who's ever existed in New York City, America's mayor. What's Rudy's theme song? This for, we should have New York, one. New York, right? I mean, it's got to be. All right, be where's New York, New York? New York. Come on, uh, Diego, he, he doesn't understand the synergy of this. Oh, there, there it is. There you go. Well done. Well done, my friend. Well done. Well, okay, with us now is uh, WABC Star from 3 to 4 o'clock every afternoon. You can hear him, of and, course. And the greatest mayor the city of New York ever had. That's exactly right. Rudy Giuliani, welcome back, Dad. Oh, great to be with you guys. Well, how? What, it, it, I, I mean, I, I get. I, I've been listening to you. So I, we, I, I agree with you. I got to tell you, this is terrible. What happened? Well, well let, let me ask you here. Release. So specifically, yes, you look at that there. But let's look at how the Port Authority Police Department dealt with what were the uh, protests, the pro-terrorist protests on the okay, Van sure, Wick yesterday. Sure. And compare that to how the NYPD has been handling it. Is do they have a different, from your expertise, do they have a different set that they need to comply to? Is that why they were so effective? Can the NYPD learn and do anything different, or is it going to take actually um, some legal changes in order for them to do that? It's the mayor, or the police commissioner, or the mayor can make that change. Uh, the, the rules that we followed on on uh, demonstrations were. And I, a lot of I changed a lot of things in the police department. Uh, we inherited those from Koch. I mean, Koch followed the same rules. We probably did it stricter than he did because he had a, he had he had. Uh, and then of course they went through the Dinkins era, so I had to straighten them out because they had this cooling off idea uh, that created riots. Yeah, but I I I set those rules with Bratton when I came in, and they seemed like. You know, I was a lawyer, so I had the benefit of being able to read the law myself. But basically, it's what the law says: you can't, you can't take the street without getting a permit. But does the consent? And you got to apply. Do, the question that I have: apply thirty-six hours in advance. Right. The question that I have, though, in present day, does the consent decree that Mayor Adams agreed to with the ACLU and the other groups like that does that change what the NYPD can physically do right now? Right now in the present, not what you did, because. Sure. Yeah. I mean, if he, if he wants to follow it, which he should, it's a recent one, uh, and he entered into it, it's to be hard for him not to follow it. But it's pretty limited. I mean, all it means is he can't he can't take a group of people and put them in a in a pen. Hmm. He, he can't pen them in, or or uh, yeah, pen them in would be the best way to look at it, catering. But he can do everything else. So that doesn't mean that people can walk in the middle of the street and demonstrate because of that consent decree. It doesn't mean that he can't enforce the rule that they really have forgotten, that you're only allowed to take half the street. In other words, when they're, when they're marching along the street the way they do, they march you know, up to they march up Madison Avenue or Fifth Avenue or something else. They have to leave half the street open to pedestrians. Mm. So he still can move them over so that they uh, comply with the half street rule. That's a law. He can apply all those. The only thing unavailable to him is what he gave away which is being able to pick out a certain group that are causing trouble and sort of segregating them and kettering them uh, in a, in a, uh, for a period of time. Mm-hmm. He, he can go back to court and ask it to be changed. So that's another thing that he could do. In my case, uh, the rule, for example, about, uh, about having a right to sleep on the street, 
that rule was so old and under such different circumstances, I never followed it. Nobody ever took me to court. Hmm. So I said, that's a, an, another mayor made that decision, two mayors, uh, a mayor before me. It was under different conditions in the city. And I'm not going to follow, you know, what effectively is an old case. Uh, just one case and a consent decree. It's not the law. Now, so uh, Rudy. I it and I waited, I waited for somebody to take me to court, and I was going to argue that it's no longer effective. I could have gone to court myself, but frankly, Bratton and I never even thought about it. Rudy, uh, when you were mayor, you must have had people that gave you counsel. My impression is that Eric Adams flies by the seat of his pants. We saw that he was bragging about the consent decree a month ago. He was like dancing the horror. Now he says, I should have never signed it. I knew it was trouble when I signed it. Do you think that anybody counsels him before he does these things? Because I'm sure as much as you knew about the city, you didn't just fly by the seat of your pants. 100%. I had Paul Crotty next to me every, every day, John. <laughs> the $4 million, the $4 million judge. <laughs> I had Paul Crotty next to me, who was my, my uh, corporation counsel. That's like your attorney general. And Denny Young, who was my personal counsel. And uh, a third of my top staff were ex-prosecutors. So I, I, mean, I got criticized for that. But what, of course they would be. They're people that I work with in the U.S. Attorney's Office or got to meet in the District Attorney's Office. Uh, but those two would be the two that would, would have the official responsibility of advising me. And in fact, if I put a new policy in place, I always got a legal opinion from the Corporation Council, including when Mike Hess took over. So, yeah, those are the things that you do if you're a good mayor. Plus, I'll tell you what I do today. I know exactly. First thing I woke up this morning, I call my press secretary and say, get me everything you can on this judge. We're going to take his head off today. The people the people of this city, and, and I learned that from Koch. Koch was even better at that than I was. I mean, he, he'd make the judge a household name. So the, ju- the, judge, uh, the judge you're referring to is the judge up in the Bronx who cut loose. Yeah, totally. The emotionally disturbed guy who had been arrested over and over and over again and was being turned back loose on the streets and ended up taking a knife as he was sitting there in the balcony of Grand Central Terminal. They asked him to leave the seat. It was part of a restaurant. He pulls out a blade and two uh, two tourists uh, who were here from South America, the children, he slashed. And finally, he was incarcerated. And we now look at his rap sheet, many, many arrests. Many, many times that he was turned out into the street. Can't necessarily blame this on no cash bail. This was a judge's decision where the DA, actually, yep. Darcel Clark, said this guy needs to be remanded for psychiatric care. He is a menace to society. And the judge said, no, uh, no, I'm releasing him on his own recognizance. Yeah, that isn't even a close decision. Every once in a while, a judge has got a really tough one. And it's unfair to second guess him and play Monday morning quarterbacking. Uh, this record presented to him uh, says that this guy never should have been a judge. And Adams appointed him. So I'd like to know if Adams interviews the people he appoints. I interviewed every judge I appointed, every single one. I appointed 100 judges. That's a lot of interviews. Uh, but I never let a judge get appointed without interviewing mm-hmm. I didn't let some political hack, a county leader, tell me who, who to appoint. Well, I remember, Rudy, that was uh, that was the biggest falling out you had with Ed Koch after you were elected and he had supported you the second time. 
Right. Was over how. He wasn't the mayor. He couldn't tell me who to. He, he wanted me to reappoint three of his pals. Well, two, two of them were. Two of them were, were were involved with uh, several cases in which I had investigated the people who got them there. I mean, everybody thinks the court system is really a court system. It's not. It's a, it's a political patronage system. This guy's a political patronage guy. He spent his whole life working in the court system. He went from one judge to another judge to another judge to another judge. As far as I can tell, he was never really a lawyer. He was a clerk. And uh, obviously liberal as hell. This thing, this is an, this is a, this was a no-brainer decision. You don't even have to be a tough judge to do this one. And I, and I, why did I interview him? Because I wanted to make sure they weren't going to do what he did. Well, and I, somebody should take a look at how often this is the reason why people get killed or beaten because we have left-wing, politically appointed, uh, political hacks on the bench. A lot of them. And haven't we seen the consequences of putting these political activists in judicial positions here, not just in New York City over the last you know years, but uh, all across the country, it seems? Well, this guy, this guy was a uh, sort of spent his career as a member of the court staff. Mm-hmm. And uh, you get those jobs politically. Yeah. Those are political jobs. Uh, that comes from the that comes from the Bronx uh, Democratic Party, the county leader. The county leader appoints every Supreme Court judge, too, except in Staten Island, and they're all unopposed. Like this year when I went to vote in my uh, area of Manhattan, I had five judges, two civil, three Supreme, no opponent. Mm -hmm. Like I was voting in Moscow 30 years ago. Now, uh, Rudy, when you were prosecuting Stanley Friedman, the boss of the Bronx County Democratic machine, there was a woman, a widow, who came back because her family had paid the fee to become a judge to the county machine and said, you know, unfortunately, Stanley, my, my husband has died. Could I have the money back? And Stanley said, no, that money is ours. And remember, Rudy, she yeah. sued him and won. Yeah, uh, of course, Manus committed suicide. And Manus was a county leader in uh, Queens, and he was notorious. Uh, I mean, one of the cases we were get, would build on him before he committed suicide was uh, shaking down everybody who wanted to be a judge. You couldn't be a judge there without coming up with a hundred grand. And uh, sometimes the county leaders uh, make you donate that, but some of them put it in their pocket. And Manus was put them in their pocket, and Stanley also. And of course, Stanley went to prison, but uh, Manus and Manus did away with himself. Largely because he he couldn't make the choice. He would he couldn't go to prison, and he couldn't do what he should have done, which is testify. He could have put the whole city in jail. Well, Dad, thank you for checking in with us again this morning. You know, you, we've done the last four mornings together. I guess Curtis, we got to invite him back for a fifth morning yeah, tomorrow, yeah, we're, we're, and and complete we're complete five cycle. For five. five for five. We'll do five we're for five. We're obsessive compulsive. Okay. <laughs> you can listen to him every single weekday, and he's not taking the week off this week. Rudy Giuliani on WABC. From 3 to 4 o'clock, it's J.C. John Katsimatidis, D.C. Andrew Giuliani, A.C. Curtis Slewa coming back with you right after this. Sit in Friends in the Morning, 77 WABC. The Wiz Kids had won it, Bobby Thompson had done it, and Yogi read the comics all the while. Rock and roll was being born. 
marijuana we would scorn. So down on the corner, the national pastime went on trial. We're talking baseball, Klazuski, Campanella, talking baseball. The man and Bob. Well, we're back, and we're going to go to Staten Island right now. But it's actually the five boroughs in New York. Uh, uh, we have Eric Shuffler, who is the president of the Ferry Hawks baseball team and, and the entertainment center uh, we have in, uh, uh, in uh, Staten Island. And it's going to service all five boroughs. Eric, welcome to uh, the show. Happy holidays, John. Uh, great to be here. Super excited to be on. And, uh, and you have a special announcement, I heard. I heard yeah, you have, have a special announcement. Give us, give, give is there a drum? Uh, Should we get the breaking news? You have breaking news? Do we have it around? I, I, got, uh, I got Diego off. His, uh, it's going to come at some point. We'll, we'll have breaking news someplace. We'll put your, put your uh, microphone on there. Oh, microphone's got to yes, be. Okay. Wait a second. It's on. <laughs> I turned it on. I turned it oh, on. Oh, really? Diego, oh, Diego's uh, No, that's on flummoxed. me. That's on me. All right. Just... All right. Give us the breaking news. Diego's falling asleep. He doesn't know where the button is. <laughs> I wish I was in that studio okay. with you guys for the breaking news. We uh, are bringing on a new manager, John. Uh, okay, you really got the drum roll. You got drum roll. Play ball. <laughs> Play ball. Someone with you know over a dozen years of professional experience. You know, has been to the playoffs in the Atlantic League. Tons of experience. A Northeast guy at heart. You know, from uh, outside of Philadelphia. Mark Minikazi. We're super excited to have him. And he's, uh, I think we have him with us now to talk a little bit about his vision for the team, the type of players he's going to bring, you know, what Staten Island can expect. Well, uh, Mark, welcome to New York, the big time. And, uh, uh, and uh, tell us about yourself, Mark. Gentlemen, thank you for having me on, Eric. Uh, um, I'm really excited, man. I'm ready to get out there to New York. Uh, I know it's a little cold right now. I'm I'm out in Arizona, so it's a little warmer here. But uh, I'm excited to get out there and get going, and uh, you know, make the community excited. We we're gonna have a good team. We're gonna bring in some you know really solid quality major league players that uh, you know the the city will be excited for. Mark, where did you grow grow up? I grew up suburban Philadelphia. You're uh, not gonna tell me you're a Phillies fan, are you? <laughs> You know, I'm I'm transitioning maybe to a Yankees fan now. I, we'll, we'll see. I, <laughs> well, the Yankees are our partner. They own uh, 15% of the Ferry Hawks, and uh, we need absolutely. you to be a Yankee fan. We could be a Yankees fan. Oh, that sounds good. Now, can we win? The, <laughs> can the Ferry Hawks win the pennant this year? Absolutely. Oh, uh, that's what I have, like to hear. You. you you see that backdrop of that stadium there? There isn't a better minor league backdrop in baseball. We have, you know, the best facilities in the league. You know, what this team really needs in two years, we, you know, Eric and, and everyone, a part of the Ferry Hawks, is able to build, you know, from the ground up, you know, a good foundation. And, and now we want to bring, you know, elite players to Staten Island and, and be the destination for, for the players to come. I mean, we want, we want everyone to want to be in Staten Island and that's, and that's the end goal for us is to, uh, you know, make it the, the top destination for players looking to play in the Atlantic league. Well, I just want to tell you something. We are in the studio with us. Here is Curtis Sliwa, which is a famous New Yorker and Andrew Giuliani, the son of mayor Giuliani. And you know who built that stadium? It was mayor Giuliani. 
Wow. <laughs> well, Very I cool. I got to tell you, and you're absolutely right. It really is one of the best experiences going out to that stadium, seeing a Ferry Hawks game, and just the setting that you see there is is amazing. I've taken the ferry. Uh, from where I live in Battery Park uh, there, it takes 17 minutes. You take the Staten Island Ferry, it takes 25 minutes. The view is unbelievable. I actually pushed tre- President Trump to try to go there in 2018 during the congressional races, uh, midterm races. But it really is one of the best experiences, and, and we're really looking forward to uh, hopefully a great year for the Ferry Hawks in Staten Island, what they mean to the community, uh, and how exciting this all is. Hey, Andrew, it's Eric. You know, I think you you brought your daughter, as I remember, out to our pumpkin patch. And I think it's important to remember the Ferry Hawks are New York City's third professional baseball team after the Yankees and Mets. But as John talks about all the time, the stadium is really not a baseball stadium. We're an entertainment center. And we've had pumpkin patches, haunted houses. And and I brought my daughter and I brought my daughter to the the haunted house for for, uh, For Halloween. Halloween. Yeah. So we're, we have charity festivals. John and I are talking about concerts involving, you know, WABC. We have a lot planned for 2024 that's way beyond baseball. And Mark's really excited a lot about it. We had, you know, Riza from Wu-Tang at the stadium last year, <laughs> a beer festival, you know, all things we're looking at, comedy shows. So this is a really exciting year, and New York should be ready to come out for Fairhawk Baseball, but also a lot of non-baseball entertainment. Just a great night with a great view at you know, really family-friendly, affordable prices in New York City. Yeah, and like you said, it's a great venue, whether it's baseball or whether it's something else. My daughter absolutely loved the pumpkin patch out there. It was so much fun taking her out there and seeing that. And the pictures that you get, not just with the pumpkins, but with the skyline in the background, yeah. New York Harbor, it, it really, really is amazing. Well... John, anything else? No, Eric. Uh, when's uh, when uh, when do you start playing ball? Is it April, uh, May? Our home opener is April, uh, May third. We open up on the road. We'll be starting spring training mid-April, but there'll be baseball there earlier. John, we have NYU, New York University, and Wagner College both playing baseball. Wow, at great! Stadium at in February stadium. and March. Okay. So we're going to be going straight through. Uh, you know, September. So May 3rd is our home opener. So we should plan a big grand Saturday. opening day with WABC and everybody uh, and the Ferry Hawks and the Yankees uh, and uh, on May 3rd, grand opening. Yeah, we could do May 3rd. We also could do May 4th. It's our opening night fireworks on that Saturday night, too. So a lot of exciting stuff for us to plan and a uh, big year for the Ferry Hawks. And uh, this is the year we're getting to the playoffs. Thank I you. Thank it. you so much. I love and, it. And uh, WABC is going to be participating in the entertainment part center. And uh, uh, we're all going to have a good time. And that's well, what it's all about. Having a good time. Absolutely. Well, John, you've heard it. Mark Manicosi. Thank you, Mark. The manager of the and he's Ferry converting Hawks. from a Phillies fan to a Yankee fan. Uh, we, <laughs> there it we, is. we have the it only, certified. It's the only kind of transitioning that we uh, support here. Uh, you know, at least Andrew Giuliani supports on WABC. <laughs> Thank so you. So good luck, Mark. Congratulations. Good job, Eric. Thank you. Great all having right, me Andrew on, Curtis. All have a great New Year. Thank you. I'll see you tomorrow. Let's take a break, and we'll be right back. This is Sit in Friends. Friends in the morning, entertaining and informative. Oh, you're my best friend. 77 WABC.
Well, the traffic is cleared up because John Katsimatidis complained about it, so City Hall must have heard it. Yeah, no thanks to you, Curtis Lee, or no thanks to me, to be honest. All because of John Katsimatidis. Third Avenue is wide open. It's wide open now. It was gridlock over here for the first two and a half hours. It was all shut down. John Katsimatidis walks in. All of a sudden, he says one thing, and it opens wide up. I guess we know... Who has the well, one problem you never had when we visited Cuba was traffic problems because <laughs> they have very little vehicular traffic in the streets of Havana. Every car was uh, 1950s, 1960s. <laughs> well, speaking of this, you mentioned A your new dealers... car. When did Castro take over? 1969? 1959, right? 59. 1959. 1959. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. The latest model is 1959. <laughs> so you mentioned all your dinners with Gorbachev. I mean, that's fascinating to me as somebody whose wife lived in Lithuania, which was the Soviet Union, when Gorbachev was obviously prime minister there. What that must have... Well, well let me tell you something. You know, I uh, worked with the Greek Orthodox Church, <laughs> and uh, the head of the Greek Orthodox Church is out of uh, Constantinople, mm-hmm. otherwise known as Istanbul, and it's the, uh, the Patriarch Bartholomew. And uh, they sit on equal ground. when they, They're in the same church at the same time as the Pope. They sit in, on equal ground. And we've been in the Church of the Holy Sepulchre uh, for a joint ceremony between the Pope and uh, the Patriarch. And it was an unbelievable ceremony. Wow. Uh, but uh, Gorbachev, uh, the archons, uh, who uh, are the soldiers of the Patriarchy, soldiers without guns, mm-hmm. it's, it's, sol- it's soldiers with pens, mm-hmm. uh, either uh, pens to write stories and, and get influence to, to make sure the uh, the patriarch's message gets across, or uh, we protect the patriarch, or uh, uh, or they write checks. I mean, <laughs> t- t- take your choice. Uh, it's the protectors. Uh, uh, we had uh, we have an annual dinner, and one year we honored uh, 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 President Gorbachev for peace, because when he was president of the Soviet Union, and uh, the, the Situation came down with the with the war. He had two choices: let it happen, or press the button. Could have been World War uh, Three. Mm-hmm. Well, he chose the the way of peace, and the Greek Orthodox Church, the Archons, honored him in New York, uh, and uh, uh, we had a big uh, dinner honoring him. And then we had several. Uh, uh, private dinners that me and uh, Father Alex and a few others uh, took him out to dinner. Uh, I remember the old uh, proof of the pudding on, uh, I don't know if that was, uh, or Manhattan Cafe on, on First Avenue. He, he used to like that place. And he used to come here with his... Uh, Is it Serendipity? Is that it or not? No, no. Um, Manhattan Cafe. Okay. Uh, and with his daughter... <coughs> <coughs> And we got to know him pretty well. And he was a very religious guy. Really? And a very religious guy. But remember, he had a choice of pressing the button and making war or letting the Berlin War go down. And he chose the, the way of peace. Now, I'll tell you, um, one story he told me, I'm not sure is uh, known, that uh, he's so religious, his wife was a real communist. And he knew that. But when his uh, uh, daughter was uh, born, when his wife was away, his mother took his daughter and had her baptized. 
Wow. Wow. Well, that's the perfect uh, lead-in to Dominic Carter, who will be on from 10 to 12. And then I come back with my wife, Nancy, from uh, 12 to 1 on the Rip and Read, all live and local here at WABC.